Turn, if you would, to Hebrews, the third chapter. If you hadn't been with us already in these meetings, we, what is this, our fourth one? On this subject, we've been on this passage in Hebrews 3. Did you find it? Hebrews 3 and the uh, seventh verse. Since wherefore, as the Holy Ghost says, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Everybody say that out loud. Harden not your hearts. As in the day of provocation, in the day of temptation, in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, saw my works forty years. Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation. What grieved him? They hardened their hearts. Now that produced unbelief and rebellion and other things, but it came back to this, the hardening of their heart. I was grieved with that generation. I said, they do always err in their heart, and they've not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Is he saying that could happen to us? Yes, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end while it is said today, if you will hear his voice, say it again, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. Skip on down to the fourth chapter and the seventh verse for time's sake. He says it again. Again, he limits a certain day saying in David, today after so long a time, as it is said today, if you will hear his voice, what? Harden. what? harden not your hearts. Don't harden your heart. Now we've been into some detail about what that does, how that affects us. Go ahead and turn to Proverbs 29. There's perhaps some folks that uh, haven't seen this yet. Proverbs 29. He describes an incurable condition. And that's rare to hear the Bible talk about something incurable. I mean, we believe nothing's too hard for the Lord. And there is no such thing as an incurable disease. There's no such thing as a financial situation that is so bad that God can't provide and you can't recover. But here he mentions something, uh, an unrecoverable situation. Proverbs 29 and verse 1. He said, He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed and that without Remedy. No remedy. Let me read other translations of that to you. The New Century says, whoever is stubborn after being corrected many times, somebody say many times, times. shall suddenly be hurt beyond cure. The Today's English version says, if you get more stubborn every time you are corrected, one day you'll be crushed and never recover. A person who will not bend after many warnings will suddenly be broken beyond repair. 
The Living Bible says the man who is often reproved but refuses to accept the criticism will suddenly be broken and never have another chance. It's not that God wouldn't forgive you. It's not that you couldn't recover. It's just that you get to the place where you won't listen. You won't hear. And if you resist, harden yourself and refuse correction and refuse and refuse, we saw Pharaoh. I mean, he is the poster child for hardening of heart, isn't he? Things came up and he would consent. He would relent and he would say, "Um, yeah, I'll let them go. Yeah, I'll let them go. And then as soon as the frogs were gone, he'd say, no, I'm not going to let them go. As soon as there was relief, he would harden himself and resist. And there came a point where, I mean, the nation was more and more destroyed until all the firstborn were destroyed. And his own people were just demanding that you let these people go. And he did. But even that wasn't the end. As soon as they left, what did he do? He hardened his heart again and went after them. And that's when he and all his were consumed at the bottom of the sea. He was destroyed. Can you see there came a place where he's not going to change. No matter how many times. No matter how many opportunities, he has hardened himself, stiffened his neck, hardened his heart. And Hebrews warns us, don't let this happen to you. We want grace. We want mercy, not destruction, not judgment. Now, I know this is not a popular message. Hmm? How many believe in God with me tonight? You know utterance is greatly affected by the hearer. Right? I've got some things in my heart. If we can get there. Right? But if we don't receive the first thing, you can't go to the next thing. Did you know that? Because one builds upon another. And this is not a negative message. This is not a bad word. This is a good word. Back up in uh, the 28th chapter of Proverbs, just back up just a couple of verses there, you see the good news on the other side of this, the 13th verse. What does it say? He that covers his sins, what? Shall not prosper. But whoso confesses and forsakes them shall have mercy. You know what mercy is? We talked about that word deserve earlier. Have you ever heard somebody going through something say in exasperation, what did I ever do to deserve this? You know what the answer is? Plenty. Lots. No. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, if you got what you deserved, you'd be mentally oppressed and broke. All your sick, short life. Then you'd die and go to hell. You don't want to talk about what you deserve. What do you want to talk about? Grace and mercy. Who gets the grace and mercy? Go back to James again. We looked at this earlier, but this will be a foundational truth in what we'll be seeing tonight. James chapter 4. And verse 6, James 4 and 6, 
What does it say? But he gives more grace. Somebody say more grace. More grace. Did you know you can grow in grace? You can increase. Everything that's going good in your life, that's turning out right, that's producing fruit, it is by the grace of God. And did you know God can increase that in you? He can add too. He gives more grace. Wherefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, I know you probably heard this many times, but try not to hear it like you already know it. God gives grace. He resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. We should submit ourselves to God and resist the devil. If we're in pride, we're resisting him. And if we're resisting him, he will resist us. Can you see that? I know a lot of times people don't like to hear that, but am I reading New Testament scripture right here? God resists the proud. And you do want to resist the devil. And the two go together. In yielding to the devil, you're going to wind up resisting God. And in yielding to the Lord, you're going to wind up resisting the devil. Let me say that again real slow. In yielding, resisting the devil, you're going to wind up yielding to the Lord. In fact, you don't have things in your own power and strength. You'd be yielding to the authority of Jesus' name, yielding to the greater one on the inside of you to resist the enemy. But when you're yielding to the enemy and yielding to pride, you're going to wind up resisting God. Psalm 18, turn there please. Everybody say, we'll get there. We'll get there tonight. Where we need to get to. We'll get it. We'll receive it. We'll do it. We're faith people, you remember? Psalm 18, 25. He said, with the merciful, you will show yourself merciful. With an upright man... You'll show yourself upright. With the pure, you'll show yourself pure. With the froward, you'll what? Show yourself froward. You get an attitude with God, you're cutting off your grace. You begin to resist Him, there's going to be problems. But if you'll humble yourself... And be tender hearted before him. It gives him a right to be tender and gracious with you. The harder you get with him. You'll begin to meet resistance. Because it's pride. And it's rebellion to resist him and be hard with him. And he resists the proud. Doesn't he? The more haughty you get with him. The more mouthy you get with him. The more arrogant you get with him. You're going to hit a wall. A wall nothing can get through. And if you keep on hardening yourself, you can get to the place where nobody can talk to you. Nobody can get through to you. And then there's nothing left but destruction. 
Oh, but there is another way to go. I said, there's another way to go. And that is when you see the light and it shows up that you're in the wrong. And when you're being corrected, humble yourself. Somebody say, humble yourself. Humble yourself underneath the mighty hand of God. And what will he do? He won't beat you down. He will exalt you. That means lift you up. He will lift you up. He won't upbraid you because you don't know and you didn't understand. If you'll humble yourself before him, he will give you grace and more grace. And you'll come out and you'll overcome. There is nothing you can't overcome with enough grace. There's nothing you can't achieve with enough grace. Oh, friends. God can grace you to the point you hardly know your feet are hitting the ground. (laughs) There are degrees of grace that will virtually carry you. (laughs) You believe it or not, there are degrees of grace. That just puts you so far beyond what you could ever think or do or accomplish. So far beyond your ability. But you cannot receive them. And you cannot operate in them with pride or rebellion or hardness. And the thing is, the more he pours his grace on you, if you have any wisdom. And I know you like it and enjoy it. And you want more. Then what should happen is the more he graces you. And the more he does for you. What should be your response? Help me out. The more you humble yourself. And the more tender and your heart gets before him. And the lower, the lower you lay yourself before him. When the Lord blesses you and uses you the most. People who are carnal will try to give the credit to you. Even church people. They do. Because God's not real to them. They don't see him and people are real. And when something great happens, they want to try to give the credit to you. And, and even though you say, no, it was the Lord, you know, the, yeah, but you had to do this and you had to do that. They're still trying to give the credit to you. Are you with me or not? Yeah. And if you got any sense, you'll get off by yourself where nobody can talk to you. And you'll stick your nose in the carpet and you'll go, God, I know. I know I couldn't have got up and combed my hair and found the door. If it hadn't have been for your grace, I wouldn't have known where to start. I wouldn't have known what to do next. Your grace has sustained me. Your grace has enabled me, empowered me, enlightened me. Oh, thank God for the great grace. Of God. There are degrees of grace that can virtually carry you. I've touched a little bit of this, not nearly as much as I'd like to. But there have been times I was speaking and ministering beyond myself. Hallelujah. I'm learning while I'm talking, I'm hearing things I didn't know, and it's coming out of my mouth. Glory to you. Well, how many stand? That's not Keith. That's not me. 
I'm not thinking it up. I'm not coming up with this. And so I'd be a fool to try to take credit for that. Right? And I don't care what that my area is teaching and preaching and, and these things. Whatever your area is, though, you know, God, he anointed Bezalel and Aholiab to work with their hands. The anointing came on them, didn't it? To work with wood and to work with metal. I'm telling you, there's grace for your job. There is. There's grace to be a parent. There's grace to be a husband and a wife. Are you listening? There's grace. You can struggle in your own meager strength year after year and barely get by. Or I'm telling you, if you learn how to humble yourself, if you learn how to repent and receive correction, God can add grace upon grace upon grace to you. Till you flourish and you flower and you blossom and you become a man of God. You become a woman of God. You become a totally different person that your people respect and love a pillar in the family. Are you listening? You'll never do it in your own strength. Never. There's not enough education. There's not enough diligence. You cannot accomplish it but with enough grace. There's no disease you can't overcome with enough grace. There's no financial situation you can't get through and overcome with enough grace. With enough grace, you can get through anything. With enough grace, you can do anything that the Lord puts in your heart. Tell me again, who gets the grace? Who gets the grace? What do the proud get? They get resisted with the froward God shows himself froward. You take attitude with him. You get huffy with him. You get defiant with him. Your grace. Cut off. Now you're on your own. Sad, isn't it? Somebody say, not me. Not me. Not me. Go with me, please. To Ephesians. The fourth chapter. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 27. Neither give place to the devil. Can you be submitting to God and giving place to the devil at the same time? Uh -uh. Remember, if you're yielding to the devil, what will you also be doing? You're going to be resisting God. What if you're yielding to the Lord and submitting to Him? You're going to wind up resisting the enemy, resisting His temptations, right? Can you see this? To go one way is to not go the other way. To yield to one is to resist the other. Same thing is true with the flesh and the Spirit. Remember the text, uh, if you walk in the Spirit, what will automatically happen? You will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. not like you have to stop walking in the Spirit and start not yielding to the flesh. Now, if you are walking in the Spirit, you will simultaneously not be yielding to the lust of the flesh. Can you see this? So you're resisting the wrong lust and desires of the flesh while you're walking in the Spirit. What if you're yielding to the lust of the flesh? Well, then you're not walking in the Spirit, right? You're pushing down and ignoring What's in your heart. You're resisting what's coming up in you. Because every child of God. When you're tempted to sin. And you go to yield to it. Your heart's going to cry out. 
It's going to say, no, this is wrong. Don't do this. But then it's up to you whether you pay attention to it or whether you ignore it and suppress it and push it back down. How many know you need to be watchful what you're yielding to and what you're resisting? We want to resist the devil. We want to resist the wrong desires of the flesh and the mind. We never want to resist God. So he said, neither give place to the devil. Skip down to verse 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying or building up, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. We read in Hebrews that God was grieved. And uh, what was it? session or two ago, we went through the book of Mark and we saw how Jesus was grieved repeatedly and it came back to the same thing. What was he grieved about? Their hardness of heart. Now look and you'll see the same thing. There's a lot of talk about grieving the spirit and some of it I believe is uh, misinformed and people jump into wrong conclusions because like we talked about earlier, the Holy Spirit is not flighty. I've found him to be very tolerant and accommodating of our ignorance. I, I've seen several situations where I thought, man, the Spirit will be grieved with this. And he wasn't, to my surprise. Things kept happening. And they kept going. Why? Because of there was ignorance. A lot of times people just didn't know any better. But what does grieve him? What does really grieve him? Hardness of heart, resistance, rebellion. That grieves him. Look at this. Let all bitterness, somebody say hardness, and wrath, hardness, and anger, hardness, and clamor, hardness, and evil speaking, hardness, be put away from you with all malice, hardness. Every one of those things describes hardness. Now, you see that term evil speaking? That's one of the big indicators that a person has hardened their heart substantially. They start talking bad about people. And the harder their heart is, the more malicious they become. The more they speak evil of the brethren. If your heart is tender, you don't do that. Even if somebody's messed up terribly. How many know if your heart is soft and your heart is tender, even if you know what they did is wrong and you don't like what they did, you still love them, right? And you don't want to see them destroyed. You don't want to see them judged. And if you love somebody, the Bible said love covers, not publishes. Love covers the multitude of sins, doesn't it? You don't want people to look bad. You don't want their dirty laundry uh, aired. When you love somebody, you want them to look good. If there's weaknesses, if there's failures, if they come out, it ain't going to be by you. But when your heart is hard, you tell everybody. You don't care if it hurts them or not. Can you see the hardness here? You don't care. If after you tell them that they did this or this happened to them, that they think less of that person than before y'all talked, hardness doesn't care. Well, they did it. That's true. 
Can you hear this now? Can you hear the hardness? Can you see what it sounds like? And what it looks like? And tell me from this verse, what does that do with the Holy Spirit? It grieves Him. Read it again. Verse 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Watch what comes out of your mouth. Only that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God whereby you're sealed until the day of redemption, and let all bitterness. See, if you're bitter, you're hard. Can you see this? All bitterness and wrath, you get real mad and upset. What's that doing to your heart? Hardening. Now see, back up to the first part of it, he said, verse 26, you know, be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Can you see, when you're getting angry and angrier and angrier, you're getting harder and harder and you're yielding to the devil. And you're not yielding to God. He said, don't let bitterness or wrath or anger or clamor or evil speaking, let it be put away from you. And malice, put that away from you. And verse 32, how should you be? How should you be? Be ye kind one to another. That's just, he's talking specifically about your Christian brother and sister. Be kind. Somebody say kind. kind. Say it again. Kind. 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 One to another. Somebody comes to our churches, they come to our ministries, they come to our homes, they come to our businesses where we have control, where we have influence. When they walk in, they ought to walk into a fog of kindness, a blanket of kindness. And they ought to remark, man, everybody around here is so kind. They're just so kind. So kind. And such as you have, that's all you can give. It's got to be in you. Or it's not going to come out. It's sad. Many believers have hardened themselves. You can tell by the expression on their face. It's a hard look. And they justify it. By I've been through this. And I've been through that. Well the uh, operative word is been. <laughs> Was. Did. Used to. Huh? And you ought not be looking behind. There is no excuse for being hard. We've already talked about that in some detail. Many have hardened themselves, claiming they had to, to protect themselves from being hurt. They were hurt terribly in times past, and they never want that to happen again. So they put up walls, and they hardened themselves. And the truth is, the more you harden yourself, the more you are going to be hurt in the future. Now, if you weren't here, I'm not going to take the time and reteach that, but it's just the truth. There's no excuse. You don't have to trust people blindly. You don't have to turn your life over to them, and the Lord never told you to. That's where people miss it. And they're looking too much to these individuals for approval. Are you listening? In fact, we need to stay on that just a minute. Hold your place right here and go to John 12. The Lord's helping us wonderfully in these services. I'm so thankful. I'll be honest with you, I wouldn't know where to start. I wouldn't know. I'd be up here going, huh? What do we do? Help me out. Somebody got something? Let me sit down. 
But by the grace of God, by the grace of God, we can not only make it through, we can thrive, we can flourish, we can be fruitful. In the 12th chapter of John, I saw this as we're in our church, we're in a series now we're calling Seeing Jesus. And I hadn't seen this as clearly as I've seen it in recent times, that the religious leaders in Jesus' day, how much they saw and realized about him, and yet what they did with it. In uh, John 12, verse 42, it says, Nevertheless, among the rulers also, many believed on him. Did you know that? Many of the rulers, the chief rulers, the top people in the religious world at the time, the the top people in, in the synagogue. What did it say? They what? They what? This is the same bunch that agreed with the high priest that he had to die. Keep reading. But because of the Pharisees, they what? They did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For why? They love the praise of men more than the praise of God. How could they be a part and consent with this blasphemy and the scourging and the crucifixion of the one they saw to be the fulfillment of Scripture? Did I read this right? Did it say they believed on him? So what would be the proper response if you see and know him and believe on him? You follow him. You change your life. Right? But what did they do? They suppressed it. Didn't they? They ignored what they saw. They ignored what they knew. They didn't confess him. They stood by while others condemned him to die. Whether they were a a silent part or vocal part, they were a part of condemning him. Why? Because they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. When people talk about being hurt, this is the core of it. The reason people have been in such angst and... They've made themselves vulnerable when they should not have. And they've been hurt when they didn't receive the attention they craved and the approval they so thought they needed. It's because they shouldn't have been looking to it from the men in the first place. The truth is, even with many of the people of God, they crave the approval Of men more than they do the approval of God. It is just the truth. And that makes you vulnerable. It exposes you to being hurt. 
needlessly. To grieving when you don't have to grieve. To hurting when you don't have to hurt. And people blame other people because they weren't there for them. And they didn't give them the approval that they craved. And they didn't give them the love that they craved. Not realizing you're at fault. For thinking you had to have it. To be whole. And to believe in yourself. I'm telling you. You are complete in Him. And if he is happy with you, oh, come on, Nay. If God is pleased with you, you don't have to have anything else. I mean, the Bible said about Jesus, Jesus walked this way, my friend. He walked this way. He said, I always do those things that please him. And he had the cognizance. That the father was totally pleased with him night and day. And the approval. And when people rose up and they wanted to make him king. The Bible said he didn't put himself in their hands. He didn't need man to testify about him. I like that, don't you? I don't need your good report. I don't need your approval. I can be happy without it. Now if you got it, that's great. But if it doesn't come, I'm not going to hold my breath and wait for it. I am not going to feel like I am less than a human being, less than what I should be, because you haven't talked and told me certain things, and you never told me you loved me, and you never told me you believed in me. Well, well. (laughs) Even if I love you. And not to say I don't care what you think at all. I mean, yeah, I'm thankful for it. But still, you're still, no matter how wonderful you are, you are still just you. (laughs) And he is him. (laughs) And even if you're great. You can say stuff and not half know what you're talking about, and you could change your mind tomorrow. But when he says it, when you got his approval and his love, and he's real to you, it makes you strong. It makes you strong on the inside, and you don't have to go around putting up all these defenses and scared that somebody's going to get through to you because... If they give it to you, great, you're thankful. If they don't, you're still just fine. (laughs) Because you're not seeking the approval of man. You are seeking the approval of your Father God. And it's not just hype and imagination. It's real to you. It's real to you. The Bible tells us we are not to mourn like those who have no hope. That's not to say we can't mourn at all. But we're not to mourn like those who have no hope. And when you see even people of God, that when somebody they love or somebody close to them goes home to be with the Lord, and they can't get over it, seems like. You know, it's normal to cry, miss people. That's not abnormal. Even if you're supposed to be very spiritual, that's that's just normal. 
But you see even people lose their cat. And they still can't go to work three months later. (laughs) Now you laugh, but I'm telling you. Now that's not okay. Especially for a child of God. That is not okay. You know what the problem is there? Kitty has a place in their heart that only God should have. Are y'all with me? Kitty had too big of a place in their heart. Now, you know, it's true. A lot of people, a lot of people, they love their cat. They love their dog more than their family. It's the truth. And it is not okay. I said it is not okay. Not at all. And even if it's a person that you do love and is a huge part of your life, you know, never say, I couldn't live without them. Never say that. Things are changing every day. Right? People are coming in this planet. They're leaving this planet by the millions. Every day, this is the way of all the earth. The Lord tears is coming just that much longer. We're out of here. And everybody you know. Now, if he comes beforehand, that's great too. But can you make it without that person in your life? Yes. How, how could you make it? Because the most important one is still there. The biggest one, the one you need the approval of, the one you need and have to have the love of, that you really can't make it without, he is there. And he's always going to be there. And he's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. Hallelujah. And if you've got enough of your heart in him... Then no matter if your mother and your father forsake you, the Bible said, then the Lord will take you up. And you can make it. I didn't say you wouldn't shed some tears. I didn't say you wouldn't have some feelings. But you'll overcome it. And you'll come out. And you'll come through. And you won't just survive. You'll thrive. You will. In spite of it. So I'm I'm just elaborating that it's not true that you have to put up these things and harden yourself to protect yourself. No, the problem with that is that people are seeking too much, depending too much on the approval of that person. And they need it too much. And that's what they need to get delivered from. And then soften their heart. And life will change for them. And you know, uh, people make mistakes. By pulling on other people. You're never going to get the response you want. By pulling on somebody. And being needy. You're never going to get what you think you want and need. By pulling on somebody. You've got to give me this. I need this from you. That is faithless. And it is looking to a man or a woman to meet your needs. Did you hear me? And again and again, what you're wanting is beyond their ability to give you. I know sometimes people say, well, no, no, they should give it to me. You know, they owe it to me. Oh, whoa, 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 they owe it to you. 
If you really believe they owe it to you, you have now made it impossible for them to give you anything. What do you mean? Well, anything they give you, you'll think is payment that you should have got anyway. You won't even be thankful for it. You've taken it totally out of the realm of grace. And how many know that you're not going to enjoy anything good except by grace? Grace. So no matter what you need, you must be strong and quit pulling on other people. It just, human nature is such that when you pull on somebody, that makes them want to run away. Nobody likes to feel that clinginess on them. And especially if they don't know how to give it to you or not sure they want to and, or whatever the case might be. It just makes people want to get away from you. And of course that hurts you, but you're the one that pulled on it. Cast your cares over on the Lord. Put it over in his hands. Believe that he satisfies the longing soul. And he fills hungry hearts. I'm quoting the Bible. He satisfies the longing soul. He fills hungry hearts. And he can do it directly from him to you. He can do it through others from him to you. Don't try to tell him how. Don't try to tell him exactly who. Just look to him. I said look to him and stop pulling on other people. Free them up. Loosen them up. And you'll get free. And you'll quit talking about all your hurts. And your hard heart will begin to soften up. And you'll quit going through days with pain and grief. And you'll actually begin to enjoy life again. And when you begin to enjoy life again, light begins to come out of you. Instead of people wanting to get away from you, they will be drawn to you. Oh, can you see this, friends? But the more needy you become, and the more clingy you become, and the more you pull on people, the more everybody wants to get away from you. (laughs) Well, we're having fun tonight, aren't we? The truth will make you free. (laughs) Oh, hallelujah. Whose love do you have to have? Help me out. And you already got it. Whose approval do you really need to make your life complete and to give you the confidence that you need? It's not in a man. It's not in a woman. It's in him. Isn't it? It's in him. Hallelujah. Back to Ephesians. Ephesians 4. Let's look at it again. He said. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Verse 30. Don't grieve him. What kind of things grieve him? Bitterness. Wrath. Anger. Clamor. Evil speaking. Malice. How I many all that describes hardness doesn't it? But be what? Be kind. One to another. Read that out loud with me. But be ye kind. One to another. Tender hearted. Forgiving one another. Even as God. For Christ's sake. Has forgiven you. Can you be like this? Every day. All the time. Kind. Should you have kindness on your mind? 
Should you make, now how many understand, you have to make efforts to be kind. That's right. Now the more you practice it and the more you yield to it, the more you'll do it without thinking. That's right. But especially if you've grown up wrong and you've become a hard individual and you've got an edge about you, well kindness is not coming naturally to you. And people make excuses. I grew up in such and such city. I grew up such and such nationality. And hey, we're just tough. And we're just this and that. Well, you need to forget about all that. You're a child of God. You're a Christian. And who you want to be like is Jesus. And he was and is kind. Kind. It is too easy to be too harsh. We live in a world... That's full of a curse. And we live in a world that's full of cruelty. You see it in every area. I mean the animals ripping each other apart. Even in the forest and the jungles. How many understand God never made this planet that way? The cruelty. The dog eat dog in the business world and only the strong survive and da 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 and you gotta be strong if you're gonna make it in this world, boy. But you, if that's all you get growing up, you don't know how to be a man of God. No, you got to retrain yourself, don't you? And it takes effort and you have to make yourself stop and you feel like snapping or you feel like being short or you, you don't say wasting my time or this or that. And you got to get a hold of yourself and dial down the volume and change the tone and take out that word. And use this word. And the thing is, if you begin to practice this, you'll find kindness works. Proverbs says, the sweetness of the lips increases learning. A lot of times, if you're too hard, people didn't hear past the second word that you said. They're just going, ooh, oh, mm. <laughs> And they just want to get away quick as they can. But kindness can cause people to pay closer attention. And to listen longer. And to be more open to hearing more of it. Well, I can see we're not as excited about this. as some other thing. I read the scripture, right? What does it say? Verse 32, what does it say? Be what? Do you want to be kind? How many say volunteer? You say, I volunteer to be kind. That's not everybody at all. Oh, man. Come on, brother, sister. I'm reading the scripture. What the Bible say? Be kind one to another. What? Tender hearted. Somebody say kind. Tender hearted. Can you be? Should you be? Should you make efforts to be? Should you get a hold of yourself and make yourself think before you say it? And not just say it, but decide how do I need to say this? So I don't have to say that like that. I don't even have to say that at all. That's not going to do any good. They probably already know that. (laughs) Right? Now, we've all made mistakes in this area, now haven't we? It's too easy just to be brusque and harsh and short and 
But why are we talking about this? Not only just that it's going to make our life flow so much better and help our, our friends and our family, but if you are froward, how's the Lord going to be with you? Froward. But what if you're tender hearted and kind? What does that open the door for him to be with you? So what if you did some dumb, stupid thing? And really, you've got yourself in a mess. But you've been kind to everybody for the last three months. <laughs> and as soon as you see you missed it, oh man, you hit your knees, you put your nose in the carpet, and say, oh God, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. I did it, it's wrong, it's sin. What does he have every right to do with you? For you not to be judged. For you to get out of this. Oh, friend, unless you're in the spot, you don't know how important this is. But we're talking about not going to jail. We're talking about not losing your family. Not losing your house. We're talking about God being able to be kind to you and merciful to you. Judge not that you be not judged. Forgive so you can be forgiven. Be kind so God can be gracious to you. Look how powerful this is. Go with me to the Old Testament, please. Second Chronicles, the 34th chapter. Find also at the same time Psalm 34. Psalm 34, we'll go there first. And, and 2 Chronicles 34. Get this burn in your spirit tonight. Let it go over in you all night long. Say it out loud. Be kind. Be kind. One to another. Tender hearted. Say it again. Be kind. Be kind. To each other. Tender hearted. Close your eyes. Say it again. Be kind. Be kind. To each other. Tender hearted. Tender hearted. Is that the will of God? Does that now we notice this other stuff, this wrath and this malice and this evil speaking, that grieves the Lord. So by contrast, what would this do with the Lord? This would please him, wouldn't it? Instead of you being hard and harsh and evil speaking, you're kind, you're tender hearted, this pleases him. It pleases him. And did you know when a man's ways please the Lord? He's able to make even his enemies. To be at peace with it. There are some real benefits from pleasing God every day of your life. <laughs> Even your enemies. There's some people that don't like you. Even your enemies. For some reason just decide not to hurt you today. They don't like you still. But they're going to not do anything right now. And then the next day they're not going to do anything. And the next day they're not going to do anything. And they keep putting it off. And after a while... It's it's not going to matter. You're out of here. <laughs> but who does that work for? Who does that happen for? Those who please him. Who please him. Psalm 34. Verse 18. Psalm 34, 18. It says, The Lord is near Unto them that are of a broken heart. And saves such 
as be of a contrite spirit. Remember, James talks about draw near unto him, and he will draw near unto you. Here describes uh, some of how you would draw near to him. A broken heart and a contrite spirit. I know that doesn't sound good to us. But does it sound good for the Lord being close to you? So this is a good thing. We just need to understand what this means. Do we want to have a broken heart like he's describing here and a contrite spirit? (laughs) You hear the response? (laughs) He's not talking about being depressed. When we say broken heart, we have a romantic connotation. Somebody broke my heart. It's not what he's talking about. Having your heart broken romantically doesn't bring the Lord closer to you. (laughs) If it did, there'd be some spiritual giants around me. (laughs) Because their heart gets broken every other day. (laughs) Oh, help us, Lord. But, But look in the 51st Psalm as well, that... Also talks about this. Said out loud, broken heart, contrite spirit. Look in 51:17, a similar thing here. The sacrifices of God are a what? Broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. You believe in for revelation? Are you listening with your heart? This is something, if you'll come to God like this, no matter what you have done, he'll never despise the situation and despise you. What does that mean? You could have messed up terribly and him be angry with you. But if you'll come with this kind of heart and spirit, he'll not look at you with despising. He'll look at you with mercy. What if you get hard with him? What if you get defiant with him? Well, he's going to resist you. If you're froward with him, he'll be froward with you. And you do that far enough, he's not going to look at you, you know, ready to bestow his mercy because you're disqualifying yourself from it. And so the situation, he will abhor. The Bible talks about uh, this kind of pride and rebellion being abhorrent and abomination to him. But if you can come with this kind of heart, And this kind of spirit, even if it's the worst of situations, he will look at you and not despise. One definition of despise is to fail to esteem or fail to acknowledge. He wouldn't have to acknowledge. He could just leave you on your own if you are defiant and disobedient and rebellious enough. But what will always cause him to draw near to you? To look kindly on you. No matter how much you've messed up. Are you becoming more interested in this? Is what? A broken. And a contrite. Heart. Now the word broken. Let me give you some definitions of this. We need to. 
instruction and understanding more of this. The word broken, one translation says shattered, shattered heart. Another one says, instead of saying contrite spirit, it says crumbled. And you'll find that the, uh, the idea is broken into pieces. Shattered into crumbles or crumbled into pieces. Hold your place here and go over to Luke chapter 20. I know this may be some new ground for some folks, but just stay with me. Luke chapter 20. Is there a way that you can come to God that no matter what you've done, he'll be ready to help you? Yes, it's a broken heart and a contrite spirit. In Luke, the 20th chapter, and about verse 16 or 17, 17, Luke 20 and 17, when Jesus beheld them, he said, what is this then that is written? The stone which the builders rejected, the same is become the head of the corner. How many of this is talking about the master? He came unto his own. His own received him not. Rejected him. But how many know he still is the chosen one? He still is the head of the corner. He is the foundation of everything the church is built on. Yes, he is. No other foundation can anybody lay than what is laid, the Christ, the Master. He is that stone. Verse 18, look at this now. Whosoever shall fall upon that stone shall be what? Broken. And the idea is broken to pieces. In fact, some translations say it that way. But. On whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him, or some say crush him, to powder. That's complete destruction. Crushed to powder. Can you hear the two things here? Whoever will fall. Who's doing that? You're doing that. Whoever will bring themselves and fall on this rock, this stone will be broken. But this is not a bad breaking. Are y'all with me now? This is a breaking that needs to happen. How many understand? Every bit of firm, wall-like, rock-like hardness and resistance between you and God needs to be shattered. It needs to be shattered, shattered, broken into pieces so it's no longer there. And now all of us in this world have an opportunity to voluntarily come. And no matter what pride we've learned and developed throughout our life to come and choose to humble ourselves before him and fall On this mighty rock of ages. Hallelujah. And fall with such force. That our callousness. And our hardness. Is shattered. 
Oh, come on. Until there's nothing between us and the Savior. Nothing. An open heart. Glory to God. Now, if you don't do this, you don't come and humble yourself before him and bow your knee before him and lay aside your pride and rebellion and defiance and confess him as Lord and Savior. There will come a time, right, when this stone is going to fall. And on those who refused and rebelled, and how many can see our text? He that oftentimes being reproved hardens his heart. What will eventually happen? He'll be destroyed suddenly without remedy. How many know there's coming a day? It's sad. We don't like to think about it. But there's coming a day when judgment will fall. And those who did not fall on the rock, it will fall on them. And they won't be broken to pieces. They will be crushed to powder. I know what I choose. Anybody in here with me tonight? What, what do you choose? Come on. What do you choose? God's doing good things in this place tonight. I'm telling you. Can you see yourself? Falling on the rock. Oh, come on. Can you see yourself? Oh, can you see yourself falling on the stone that the builders rejected? Can you see yourself falling? Falling. Falling on him. And when you do, all the junk in you that's been proud before him just shatters. It's not going to hurt you. It needs to be removed. It needs to be gone. And I know we like to think, well, I've been born again. I've been redeemed. Yes, you have been. But you still need your mind renewed. Right? And because of that, people, even though their spirit's been changed and born again, they still got all this junk. That they have picked up through the years and from their family and their father's fathers and they don't see it, but it's ugly in the sight of God. It's pride. It's, it's between you and Him. Obstinacy. Stubbornness. Rebellion. Tell me what needs to happen to it. What needs to happen to it? That's weak. Anybody with me in here? It needs to be broken, shattered, shattered into pieces. And if you do, oh, hallelujah, now your heart is wide open to receive from him. There's nothing hindering you. There's nothing disqualifying you from his grace. And no matter how badly you've messed up, if you come before him like that and fall on the rock and repent and confess your sin, I don't care how much he despises what you have done and how much he hates what you've been involved with. If you really do that, he knows it. He'll see your heart and he won't despise you. <laughs> and he'll forgive you. And he'll manifest his love to you. He'll give you his grace. He'll give you his mercy. When you talk about repentance, you know, John the Baptist preached repentance. You hear times gone by, people emphasized repentance. Nowadays, you don't hear about it quite as much. But repentance is a wonderful gift. I said gift. Go to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, the second chapter. 
I have used this verse and prayed this passage for friends and family for years and years and years. It is the perfect way to pray about certain situations. How many of you are not going to improve on the Bible? The way it says it, it's inspired of the Holy Ghost. And listen to this. 2 Timothy 2 and 24 says, The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be what? Be what? Gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness. Just sound like being kind and tenderhearted and in meekness, instructing those that do what? Because, friend, when you resist God, you are hurting yourself. You are opposing yourself. If God, peradventure, would give them repentance. Can you see repentance as a gift? Would give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. What will the truth do for you? It will make you free. And that they... May do what? Recover themselves. Out of the snare or trap of the devil. Who are taken captive by him at his will. The devil's very tricky. He's very subtle. And oh man. Pride and rebellion is his home turf. You understand that? If you yield to pride. And you yield to obstinacy and stubbornness and hard-headedness. You are playing right into him. And he will feed you all you want to listen to. And you will become deceived and believe lies. And you will be snared. And bondages and destruction will be in your life. And there's only one thing that will get you out. Anybody know what it is? Repentance. 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 If you would acknowledge your stubbornness and your rebellion and your disobedience, if you would acknowledge it and come and fall on the stone, hallelujah, then he would give you repentance. He would give you, glory to God, the truth revelation. And you wouldn't have to have somebody to do anything for you at that point. You can get yourself out. No matter how deep you've dug the hole, you can recover yourself. Whoo, is this marvelous? Is this wonderful? Or what? And instead of judgment and destruction, you can have recovery and restoration and mercy and blessing. You still got your place there in Chronicles? What was it? Go there. I got this and I think one more thing. Second Chronicles. I am so thankful to the Lord. Thanks be unto God. How wonderful He is. Second Chronicles. 21. Now let's start in verse. No, no. 34. Right? Right? Why didn't you say something? <laughs> You're just going to sit there and let me go to the wrong chapter. Or maybe you were being kind, okay? Uh, verse 1. 
Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. He reigned in Jerusalem one and thirty years. He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of David his father, declined neither to the right hand nor to the left. And uh, it describes him seeking the Lord. When he came to age, he purged Judah and Jerusalem from the high places and groves and the carved images and molten images. Verse 4, and he broke down the altars of Balaam in his presence and the images that were on the high, that were on high above them. He cut down and the groves and the carved images and the molten images. He broke in pieces. Are you with me? And he made what? He made dust of them. And he strode it upon the graves of them that had sacrificed to them. And he burnt the bones of the priest on their altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. So did he in the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, uh, Simeon, Naphtali, uh, with their uh, mattocks round about. And when he had broken down the altars and the groves and had beaten the graven images into powder. Are you hearing something familiar here? And he cut down all the idols throughout all the land of Israel. Then he returned to Jerusalem. Were these things an abomination in the sight of God? Were they the very picture and monument of Israel's rebellion? Or the people of God, I should say, rebellion against God. Was their very presence standing up there a continual reminder of their rebellion and hardness of heart against Him? So what did He do? What did He do? He destroyed them. He destroyed them. He broke them down into pieces and he crushed them to powder. Can somebody say amen? amen. So be it. How many know there's some stuff in this country that needs to be broken down? Amen. Some stuff needs to be crushed and gotten out of the way. Amen. I don't know if you know it or not, but you know, sometimes people forget. Uh, why did judgment come on the people of God in these Old Testament scriptures? Because of them worshiping false gods making sacrifices to them and offering up their children, sacrificing their children alive. Listen, friend, we don't like to think about it, but we got millions of people in this country that are worshiping false gods. Right? It's enough to bring judgment and punishment. We have people offering up and slaughtering children by the thousands and millions. Oh, friend, these things need to be shattered. They need to be broken. They need to be shattered. They need to be ground to powder dust. Don't they? Don't they? Because their very existence is a thumbing the nose at God. And we don't need you and we don't receive you. And friend, it's enough to cut off the grace of God. It's just His mercy that has sustained us this far. Hasn't it? He's merciful to the whole land for our sake. Isn't he? He's gracious. He's given time and space to repent for our sakes. Aren't you thankful? Aren't you thankful? But we must not become complacent to where we accept all these things and this is just normal. You should never be okay with this stuff. Never be okay with somebody worshiping a false God next door to you and in your town and in your house. Now look what else happened. Down about first uh, 15 or so, I guess it is. Hilkiah answered and said to the, well, verse 14, excuse me. Verse 14, they brought out the money and they brought to the house of the Lord. Hilkiah, the priest, found a book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. Hilkiah answered and said to Shephan, the scribe, he said, I found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. 
And Hilkiah delivered the book to Shaphan, and Shaphan carried the book to the king and brought the king word back again. Verse uh, 18, they read the book. And verse 19, it came to pass when the king heard the words of the law that he tore his clothes. Why? Because he heard all of the judgments that would come on them for doing all the things that his predecessors had been doing. Oh, man. What did he do? Did he humble himself before God? He grabbed his royal robes. He ripped them. He tore them. And the king commanded Hilkiah and Ahikam the son of Shaphan and Abdon the son of Milcan and Shaphan the scribe, Messiah, servant of the king, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me and for them that are left in Israel and in Judah concerning the words of the book that is found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that's poured out upon us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do after all that is written in the book. And so they uh, did as the king appointed. They went to Huldah the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of uh, Tikvath, and uh, son of Hazra, keeper of the wardrobe. And she answered them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Tell the man that sent you to me. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring evil upon this place and upon the inhabitants thereof, even all the curses that are written in the book which they have read before the king of Judah, because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands, and therefore my wrath shall be poured out upon this place and shall not be quenched. And as for the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, so you say you say to him, Thus says the Lord God of Israel concerning the words which you heard. Now get this, verse 27, mark it. Because your heart was tender. Or are you listening, friends? And you did humble yourself before God when you heard his words against this place and against the inhabitants thereof. And you humbled yourself before me and you did rend your clothes and you did weep before me. I have heard you also, says the Lord. And behold, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace. And neither shall your eyes see all the evil that I will bring upon this place and upon the inhabitants of the same. So they brought the king word again. Look at this. Because of his heart and because of his response to these things, God said, okay, you're not going to see it. It's coming from all the stuff that has happened before you got here. But I saw your heart. Oh, come on. A broken heart. A contrite spirit. He will not despise. How many know there was full reason for the wrath of God to come on that? Oh, man. They're burning his babies to false gods, doing all kind of crazy stuff. And he said, but it won't happen to you. You're going to live your life. You're going to come to your grave in peace. Why? Read it again. Read it again. Because what? Your heart was tender. And what else? You did humble yourself before God. Somebody say tender hearted. Tender hearted. Now Josiah was a good man. You might think, well yeah, that's great. He was good. God God did something for him. He was a good man. Look at a bad man. First Kings twenty one. I think I'm closing. You care? Not too much? 1 Kings 21 is the story of Ahab and Jezebel. 
Boy, everybody knows about Jezebel. <laughs> what do they know about her? Bad news. Oh, bad news. And she was. But Ahab was fully responsible. He's the one brought her in. He's the one listened to her. And God held him responsible for her stuff. In this story, Ahab wants Naboth's vineyard. Do you remember that? Tried to get it from him. Tried to buy it from him. Tried to trade him out of it. And Naboth didn't just say, no, I ain't giving it to you. He said, the Lord has forbidden me to do it. It's the, my inheritance and that of my sons. And, and the Lord has told me I can't do it. So I'm going to know if really the Lord did tell him that. Of course, it was the word as well. That this is not just Naboth having an issue. If they have any respect for the Lord, he should acknowledge. Well, now if the Lord says he can't do this. But he didn't. He got mad. He got upset. He went home and pouted. He's got all kind of vineyards. He's got all kind of stuff. He probably hadn't put his shoes on since he could remember. He eats the best food of the land. He drives the best chariots. But now life has become not worth the living because he doesn't have that vineyard. So he pouts. Jezebel comes in. She says, what's wrong, baby? What's wrong? Huh? Get your head out of the pillow, baby. I can't hear you. What? What's wrong? Naboth wouldn't give me his vineyard. He wouldn't. He wouldn't give you his vineyard. Baby, you the king. Ain't you the king? Mm-hmm. You the king, baby. Ain't you the king? Mm-hmm. Give me your ring. Mom will take care of this. Now you're laughing, but evil, evil, evil. Listen, friend, when people are yielding to wrong desires and they're yielding to selfishness and self-pity, don't you dare coddle them and comfort them. Oh, this is going over big, ain't it? Don't you coddle them and comfort them in their yielding to their sin? Well, that's another meeting, I reckon. (laughs) Another service. Another time. But you know what she did? She went out there. She signed letters in his name and his seal. And they went out there and set Naboth up and proclaimed the feast. And they had people come lie on him and testify against him and judged him and found him guilty and killed him. And then she come in and says, hey, Naboth's dead. That vineyard's available. Baby, go get your vineyard. So he does. He knows what she did. He don't care. Somebody say hard. Hard. Are these hard people? Is this a hard woman? Is this a hard man? And this is just a typical example of a day in Ahab and Jezebel's life. If you look at the whole story, in fact, uh, see if I can see it here. The Bible said in verse 25, that same chapter, when he, he showed up, verse 25, 1 Kings 21, said, There was none like unto Ahab, which did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord, whom Jezebel, his wife, stirred up. You talk about evil people. And hard, they didn't care how many died. 
long as they got what they wanted. And when this happened, and he went out to survey his new vineyard and to take possession, the Lord sent his man out there to tell him something. You remember that? Look here, read about it. Verse 17, the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. He said, you get up, you go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who's in Samaria. He's gone down to possess that vineyard of Naboth. And you'll speak to him. He says, thus saith the Lord, have you killed? And now you've taken possession? You tell him, thus says the Lord, in the place where the dogs lick the blood of Naboth, they're going to lick your blood, even yours. And Ahab said to Elijah, have you found me, O my enemy? He said, I found you. Because you've sold yourself to work evil in the sight of the Lord. And he, the Lord said, I'm going to bring evil upon you and take away your posterity and cut off from Ahab him that pisses against the wall and him that is shut up and left in Israel and will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, like the house of Baasha, the son of Ahijah, for the provocation wherewith you provoked me to anger and made Israel to sin. And Jezebel. The dogs are going to eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. And him that dies of Ahab in the city, the dogs are going to eat. And him that dies in the field, the fowls of the air are going to eat. How many would say, the Lord is just? They have slaughtered innocents by the thousands. They have burnt babies to false gods. They have killed. They have robbed. They have lied. They have done everything evil. We don't know the half of it. When the Bible said there was none like Ahab. How many of us there's been some bad dudes in the Bible? Right? When the Bible said there was none like Ahab. That gave himself to it. He sold himself. He was evil incarnate. And Jezebel was his sidekick. There was nothing they wouldn't do. And now judgment's going to come on. God has pronounced it. I want you to read verse 27. Judgment's coming, and there's nobody who deserves it more. But it came to pass, when Ahab heard these words, that he rent his clothes and put sackcloth on his flesh. And he fasted, and he lay in sackcloth and went softly. Where's his hardness? Are y'all listening now? Did he fall on the rock? Huh? Did he fall on the rock? He's been one evil man. How's the Lord going to see him, him coming and falling on the rock? (laughs) He just killed a man for his vineyard. Come on, quote that verse to me. A broken heart and a contrite spirit, O God, you will not despise. You think God despised all that evil stuff that him and Jezebel had been doing? You know he did. Did he hate it? Yes. But here's a man doing what he told him to do. Read the rest of it. The word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. I imagine it surprised Elijah. (laughs) Elijah's had to live with these people and deal with their evil. And when he heard the judgment of the Lord, he probably left. you got to remember, these folk are not born again yet. They don't have the love of God shed abroad in their hearts like we do today. He probably left and thought, yeah, yeah, finally. Finally. We're going to be rid of that evil Ahab and Jezebel. They're going to get theirs. 
God has said it. And imagine his astonishment. When the word of the Lord comes to him and says, Did you see how Ahab humbled himself before me? He's probably thinking, So? Yeah. So he put on a toe sack and laid on the floor. Yeah, what? The man's evil. He's evil. This is what the Lord says. Listen. Somebody say, oh, the mercy of God. Oh, Because he humbles himself before me, I will not bring evil in his days. This judgment's going to miss him and fall on the next generation. This is one evil dude. Do you understand this? You and I would probably be glad to take a 45 and put this guy out of his misery if he did to you and us and our family what he did to those guys. How do you think Naboth's family felt about this? What do you mean? God's going to be merciful to him? He's going to get to live his life out? The judgment's not going to come in his days? Somebody say, oh, the mercy of God. Oh, the mercy of God. Lift up your hands. Stand up on your feet. Say it out loud. Oh, the mercy of God. Say it again. Oh, the mercy of God. Close your eyes. Just begin to praise Him and worship Him. Oh, the mercy of God. Oh, the mercy of God. How great is your mercy. How great. Is your grace. We need to worship him some saints. Lift up your hands. Close your eyes. Focus on him for a little bit. Oh the mercy of God. 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 Keep saying it. Oh the mercy of God. Oh, 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 the mercy of God. How great is your mercy. How great is your mercy. Hallelujah. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.